following announcement has been paid for by the New World Order. People paying money to see me in a 20 by 20 ring. Welcome to another edition of the 20 by 20 Ring Crew. I am Joe, and I'm here with my cohort, Matt. What's going on, Matt? Hey, yo. And uh, as always, we have wrestling on in the background. You want to call it that? Surprisingly, <laughs> we are watching the current episode of WWE's Monday Night Raw. This is, if I'm not mistaken, the... The go-home episode before the Royal Rumble 2019. That's correct. <laughs> and we're currently watching, well, an ad about Popeyes, but uh, Heavy Machinery versus The Ascension on Raw. Jesus. On Raw. Two, two, uh, two good NXT tag teams that are going to be worth worthless in the, on the main roster. Well, one is already worth, worthless on the main roster. The other one's just too new to be called that already. Good Lord. Yeah. What has the world come to? <laughs> uh, so, uh, th- this is obviously out of the ordinary for for us. And uh, not not that the... Not that fan-requested episodes are out of the ordinary for <laughs> us, but I think today's topic is kind of out of the ordinary for us. And I say that because... Um, the question I'm posing to you is, how in the hell did we go almost a full year, week after week after week, and not do a show about the New World Order? (laughs) Yeah, it just seems uh, the NWO, I I think, in in a nutshell, was what made so many people, both young and old, especially in that era, fall in love with wrestling again, or fall in love with wrestling for the first time. So, I uh, I look forward to finally discussing it and, and giving it its its proper uh, recognition. It's about time. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> a big NWO fan. Uh, I, I got to see it all happen as it happened. So, right. that was super exciting for me. I know I... I <laughs> Especially the guys that I worked with uh, at my old 9-to-5 gig. A lot of us were wrestling fans at the time. And you had you had that excitement and enthusiasm. Every, you know, every Monday night, we'd be glued to the television set. And then the following day at work, you know, <laughs> you'd, you'd catch us, you know, either throwing toothpicks at people or, you know, all kinds of shenanigans. I said this line, I know I've said it on this show before, but the Bullet Club, is, and just, just to kind of give you an idea of, of what what the NWO is to so many people, the Bullet Club is everything the NWO should have been. And we're going to talk more about that, but in a nutshell, I think that pretty much sums it up. I agree, man. And that feeling, that feeling of, <laughs> of just the coolest thing going on was was pro wrestling, but then on top of all that, you had the NWO that just took 
wrestling, especially in that era, and brought it to levels that it's never seen before. So this, we're making this like our obligatory NW episode. But uh, the fan request here is, someone wanted to know if there was any truth to the NWO angle being ripped off by Eric Bischoff from another wrestling company, specifically in Japan. That's what we're here to talk about, first and foremost. Right. Everything else will be supporting content, if you will. But uh, that's that's a really interesting question. One that uh, I, I don't think it's talked about often enough. Because when... Uh, I, I don't know for, about you, but for me, part of the reason, at least on my end, that we haven't delved into anything NWO is because, to me, it's all been done to death. Yeah, I mean, you can just use your subscription to WWE Network to find out everything you need to know. Yeah. And, and then, you know, obviously there's YouTube for shoot interviews and things like that. And yeah. It's 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 a very common concept of pro wrestling. Absolutely. It, you know, Absolutely. When we, and, and you know, 20 years from now, you could say the same thing about the Bullet Club. You know, it's... Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. It's, it's been said before. It's been done, you mm-hmm. know, and... So, yeah, it's just, there was no point to talk about something you guys already know about. I listened to what actually is the first episode of Eric Bischoff's 83 Weeks podcast with him and Conrad Thompson. Um, If you're not familiar, you can YouTube it, go check it out. I listened to that, and literally, I I didn't have to listen to the entire thing, but uh, he pretty much gets, he as in Eric Bischoff, gets it out of the way right away. Because Conrad Thompson asks him, did you rip off the NWO angle from a Japanese company? And Bischoff tells him blatantly, no, I did not. He says a lot of the confusion comes in with fans where I was out in Japan trying to figure some stuff out for WCW. And he essentially took their the ideas that were presented in their wrestling culture and tried to apply it to American pro wrestling in a nutshell. And I, I know, uh, I know everything on the internet, especially in the way of wrestling podcasts should be taken with a grain of salt because, you know, a variety of reasons, but I, I tend to believe Eric Bischoff here as clever as he was back then. I don't think that was ever his intent, and and I don't think he would have um, actually been clever enough to to do something like. Because let's face it, he it it took him a while. When you think about it, it took him a while to bring Hall and Nash over to begin with. Yeah, and uh, even after they were aboard, they still hadn't really finalized the whole NWO angle. He just, he knew he wanted to take those guys and bring them into the company. They didn't necessarily have a plan for them right away. So, more more often than not, a a lot of people don't understand, those first few weeks where you see Hall come out of the back or, or, you know, right, out of the crowd. Yeah. And then even when Nash shows up, like, essentially they're kind of like buying time. 
I mean, they had a loose plan in place, but nothing really solid and concrete to where they were like, hey, we need to execute this, and you know, because we have all our shit together. I know that's hard to believe, but yeah, I mean, but it, if you go back to those, you know, it, it wasn't very. So obviously, Scott Hall showing up on on an episode of Nitro, yeah, was huge, but it's impactful only because he's there. Like nothing, nothing more, nothing less. It's like, yeah, the hell is he doing here? Yeah, and it was, it it wasn't like it was he cut this you know ridiculously awesome promo, <laughs> because that's not Scott Hall. He doesn't <laughs> do things like that. He tries, but he's not very good at it. He just, it was just, everything seemed to kind of be right place, right time. You yeah. got two big, two big names in WWE. They come to WCW, and it just, everything kind of accidentally fell in, in place perfectly. <laughs> because no, I don't, I don't buy the fact that Eric Bischoff is his mastermind. I just don't. And 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 he seemed uh, to agree with you. On that podcast, mm-hmm. like he did want something important and, sure. and awesome to happen, but they were still trying to figure shit out. I mean, we're still we're, you got to keep in mind we're talking about the same guy that made so many bonehead decisions in regards of you know Nitro. I had you know you're so focused on beating, putting a, another company under. To the point that you make these other bonehead decisions, and we're talking about this is the same guy that came up with this. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't fully buy it. I'm not saying it was completely accidental how it all fell together, but there's a lot of things that kind of just happened. Yeah, you know, just right place, right time, and it's like he was smart enough to say, you know what, let's roll with this. Yeah, I think you know? yes, yes, that's very important. Um. So back to our the question at hand, right? Uh, was this was the NWO angle based off or, or ripped off from a Japanese angle? And uh, this is where we start to talk about the UWF. For those who don't know, the UWF originally started out in Japan in 1984 as the Universal Wrestling Federation. It was formed originally by stars that defected from the uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling roster, some of which included, uh, by all means this isn't a complete roster, but uh, Yoshiaki Fujiwara, Kazuo Yamazaki, Nobuhiko Takada, and uh, Akira Maeda, which we'll get back to him. He's probably one of the most important. And another one... uh, Satoru Sayama, the original Tiger, Tiger Mask. Mask. Yeah. So uh, keep those, at least those two guys' names in your head while we're talking about this. They're going to play very important parts in this episode. Uh, so they they originally defected because all of these guys had legitimate martial arts training in addition to their pro wrestling training, and they wanted to br- uh, provide a more realistic product. To the wrestling uh, industry, pro wrestling industry. So, um, this ended up resulting in the UWF, and they wanted a more shoot-based style of wrestling. So, more kickboxing strikes, more submission holds, and 
that was the focus of their company and let's be honest we're kind of going through that right now with all elite wrestling they want to do something different Uh, not necessarily shoot based but they want to do something different right Uh, we're still yet to see that at this point because they they haven't had their first official uh, card but it's going to be interesting so these guys um, form the UWF and even even after they formed the UWF and started going, you still had some of the original roster not being able to adapt to that shoot style. And so they left. Uh, guys like uh, Ryo Mago and Russia Kimura, they left to All Japan Pro Wrestling because they were like, fuck this shit. <laughs> we just want to do pro wrestling like we were doing pro wrestling. And that's that. So they left. Uh, early in 1984, the UWF president, Hisashi Shinma, struck a deal with the WWF for a working relationship. So, you got to see guys like Akira Maeda, and he ended up winning the Intercontinental title, um, be a part of WWF television and programming. Uh, the working relationship ended uh, near the end of July of '84. And Hisashi Shinma, the president of UWF himself, defected to All Japan because he was also like, fuck this shit. I don't want any part of it. So he left too. They seemed doomed from the start. It seems like every time they had some momentum going, people, important people would leave. But the promotion had other problems. Osamu Kido, who was trained by Carl Gotch, joined the UWF right as the promotion was finding its footing and, and gaining some more momentum. In a positive manner. Uh, but that period also saw their top two stars in Akira Maeda and in the original tire ma- Tiger Mask, excuse me, in Sayama begin arguing over the, the essence and focus of the product. So you had Maeda who wanted the product to be more focused on submissions, and then you had Sayama wanting the product to be more focused on kicks or kickboxing. And it drew them it, it it drew them apart from from what they originally came into, and they became really shitty with one another <laughs> to the point where um, a few of the matches that they had together it finally all came to a head in September of 1985 where they were going head to head in a match and it became an actual shoot fight. There was a uh, there was no holding back. Um, in in Japan, they call it going cement. They don't necessarily refer to it as a shoot. So, during the match, Maeda decided to kick Sayama in the groin, and he ends up getting disqualified in the match. Uh, you can view the match. We'll have the link for you on our website for this episode. You can view the match, and you, you can judge for yourself... Uh, just how much of this was a shoot or not. I, I myself, I could tell you right now, most people, most wrestling fans, will you they hear the word shoot and immediately they think, oh my God, we're going to see a real fight. Guys, more often than not, a real shoot fight in between two pro wrestlers, it's pretty much uneventful. Yeah. Because they're so... There's still strategy involved, right? You know, you you're 
just because uh, two people are fighting doesn't mean all of a sudden you're going to be treated to some like Benoit Sullivan type shit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're, that's a good that's a good example. You're absolutely right. You, you, it, it, it isn't necessarily going to be very eventful. Right. There's going to be a lot of locking up, a lot of uh, just trying to not be hit. There's, there's also <laughs> there's, there's also a lot of uh, stiffing on on cell jobs. Yes, you, you do see that, and again, that doesn't make for entertaining television. Right. So, so the 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 link for the fight will actually be there because it is available on YouTube. And uh, you do, you you do get to see Sayama get kicked in the groin, and you can tell. I mean, he, that he drops to his knees and he's hurt and and whole nine. Referee disqualifies uh, Maeda. Later, Maeda would get suspended from the company because of what he did, uh, and then that led to him being fired because after he was suspended, he decides he's not going to. Um, kind of play ball with them anymore. Right. And that kind of begins the... It's like the beginning of the end for Maeda and UWF. So, after that, Sayama, original Tiger Mask, was so butthurt about what happened that he ends up (laughs) quitting the business for something around, like, 11 years. And he just... He completely... Like, he completely fell out of love with pro wrestling because of this. I don't know. I, I wasn't in my uh, Sayama's head, and I'm still not in Sayama's head. But to me, that's kind of harsh to just like get kicked in the nuts and be like, "I'm done with I'm this done, for eleven I'm years." I'm done with pro wrestling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I digress. Yeah. So the promotion dissolves, and most of the roster returns to New Japan Pro Wrestling circa 1986. Now, <laughs> Akira Maeda, he ends up going back to New Japan as part of the exodus, and he gets suspended again. And this time, it's for going shoot on Ricky Choshu. Now, that is also on YouTube. We will also have the link to that. That was much more exciting than his bout with Sayama. This is during a six-man tag, <laughs> which involved... The teams of Ricky Choshu, Masa Saito, and Hiro Saito against Akira Maeda, Nobuhiko Takata, and Os- Osamu Kido. And essentially what happens is they're taunting each other for a majority of the match. Especially Maeda, where he's just he's continually like, you know what? Put up or shut up. Come get some. You really want a piece of me? Let's do it. Come in the ring with me. And it gets, it, it gets, there's like this very unpleasant tension in the ring to the point where they're, deli- Maeda is deliberately do- doing things to, to egg it on. And eventually you see Choshu lock up one of his opponent's, um, in the ring, just flat out kicks him in the face, and Maeda flat he Maeda comes out from the apron into the ring, and he comes in and he straight up kicks Choshu in the face. Um, like he's not even in the match the, at this point. No, he's he's, he's on the, he's on the apron. Yeah, he's not a legal he's not man. Ta- yeah, he's not. He just he just walks in nonchalant. Fuck you, kicks you in the face. Yeah, and then he just nonchalantly walks away, and. 
and uh, Choshu continues the move, but afterwards he's like, "You want to? You, yeah, you wanna go like." <laughs> so Choshu, Choshu was setting up for the uh, Sasiro Gatame on Kido, and then kind of like a sharpshooter almost. Yeah, and then comes the shoot kick, which results in a broken orbital bone on Ricky Choshu's face. Um, this match happened at Korokan Hall in Tokyo uh, on uh, November 19th of 1987. Um, when you go to our website and look at the YouTube link, the shoot kick that we're talking about happens at the 3.23 mark. 3 minutes, 23 seconds in. And you'll get to see exactly what we're talking about. <laughs> uh, it's pretty exciting stuff. I, Out of the two videos that we just mentioned, this was definitely my favorite. Because you get to see a lot more going on. There's a lot more taunting. Maeda gives no fucks. He's he's all about fighting because he can really fight. So he's yeah. like, come on, come on in. I'll beat the shit out of you. And then he couldn't wait anymore, so he just walked in the ring and cracked Chosu in the face. <laughs> <laughs> um, this, of course, leads Maeda, uh, Kazuo Yamazaki... Nobuhiko Takata, all to defect to New Japan again, joining the likes of Yoji Anjo, Tetsuyo Nakano, and they start up the newborn UWF, which happens about February of 1988. So they're 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 at it again. They're trying to to make amends and just go on and create this product again. Uh, early 1989 saw Akira Maeda and the then New Japan promoter in Antonio Noki agree to Fujiwara rejoining the UWF from New Japan. So they 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 negotiated contracts and got Fujiwara back in the UWF. Now this is important because Fujiwara brought two of his top disciples, two of his top students in with him. And they were Masakatsu Funaki and the one and only Minoru Suzuki. Might have heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> so he brings those guys into the UWF. Um, we all know, well, anyone who watches New Japan these days, we all know what a beast Minoru Suzuki has become and, and what he is. Um, here's where it started. Is this the... In- you're more of an expert on this than I am. Is this like the foundations from Noro Suzuki to create Pancrase? Absolutely. Part of the founders of Pancrase? Absolutely. If you guys have never seen Pancrase, it still exists. Yeah, it still, it still, exists. It still exists. But like, um, I would highly recommend streaming services get uh, get UFC Fight Pass because every Pancrase event is on there. And it's some really fucking good shit, <laughs> really good shit. So yeah, it, when I when, going through our notes, when I saw that on there, I was like, I I gotta bring that up because yeah, oh, yeah, it has man. to be the found the, the, the foundation <laughs> for it. Minoru Suzuki at fifty years old scares the shit out of me. Oh yeah, I wouldn't want to get in the ring with him. No, neither would I. <laughs> Those poor young lions. <laughs> Um, Akira Maeda steps down as president of the UWF in 1990 after there were disputes with the new president, Shinji Jin, because he wanted, Shinji Jin wanted to work with other promotions, 
and Maeda didn't. He was like, fuck that. It's just us and us alone against the rest of the wrestling world because he really wanted the, the product to stand alone and stand out. Uh, but the, the UWF's final card was on December 1st of 1990, or so we thought, because then in uh, a few months later, in May of 1991, Yamazaki, Takata, Anjo, and Nakano, all without Maeda, again, give birth to the UWF, this time in the form of UWFI. Their excitement were, was renewed, and they decided, "Hey, this time Maeda's not involved. We're gonna, we'll be good, right?" Wrong. Started having money problems about four years later, and they reached out to their former competitor in the form of New Japan to work out an interpromotional deal. Which basically, what they did was they ended up joining the one company that kept trying to get away from this whole time. <laughs> That they were alive and, and operating. So it's weird sometimes how things come back around. But um, they came up with this angle. And this is where the uh, question, the topic of our episode comes in. So UWFI and New Japan Pro Wrestling agree. And, and they, uh, they decide to work together. And they come up with this angle of the UWFI invading New Japan. It began on October 9th of 1995. The name of the card is called Clash, New Japan vs. UWFI. And it was literally billed as a who would be better. You know, our guys against your guys, straight up, match versus match. Whoever has the most wins is the winner of this war, if you will. Right. Um... Terms were agreed with New Japan, and I don't know how this happens, but New Japan gets to book the entire card. Not just some of the matches, all the matches. Anybody who has listened to enough pro wrestling podcasts or watched enough shoot interviews knows the power of the book. (laughs) And to give your competition, as it were, the entire book for the card, you're pretty much fucking dooming yourself. I don't know how this fucking happened, but it happened. So, most of the matches, by nature, were won by New Japan Pro Wrestlers. And it made the UWFI look incredibly weak for a brand, for a company that was supposed to be shoot style and more realistic fighting. They just lost to a bunch of pro wrestlers. Yeah. Um, What also didn't make sense was that out of all of the matches, the UWFI ends up winning probably the most important match for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. Nobuhiko Takata wins over Keiji Muto. For those of you who don't know, that's the great Muta. And... That it was like a complete surprise because they should have ran if they were doing the all the booking, they should have run rough shot over the entire card. Uh, but instead, they lose all they lose all the other matches and they win not only the most important match but the IWGP title. 
in the process. Takata would go on to lose the title in April of 1996, and that ended the feud with New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, they tried to recreate the angle again with another promotion, which was the war promotion, uh, but it had very little success. And if anything, this whole question of did the NWO get ripped off by, or did the UWFI get ripped off by the NWO, the way this all plays out, this is a lot more like the WCW versus WWF angle from July of 2001 that happened in the WWF, just by, just by the way it all went down. I think it's much yeah. more similar than the whole NWO angle from WCW. If you guys, just so you guys know, uh, if you're interested in actually seeing this card, it is available on uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling World. Yes, sir. Uh, again, it is from October 9th, 1995, called Clash. You can go to our website, 20x20crew.com, slash podcast, slash NJPW, for information on how to subscribe to NJPW World, uh, it's it's totally worth it, and then you get you get this entire card. You are one hundred percent correct. It is more reminiscent. Uh, going through the notes, that's what I thought, and then I saw your notes here, where it's the it's it's the same concept as the the, the invasion angle, because the main company, the the bigger company, especially because you I mean obviously the invasion angle they own WCW as their own company, but WCW was now the outcast. They were the smaller group, and WWF ran buckshots over them. And it's just, well, how do you get the other guys over if that happens? <laughs> so that it's the same concept here. It, it, it's New Japan completely destroys UWFI. And uh, I don't see where you get comparisons, really, to the 1990s NWO invasion angle, if you will. I think it's a case of the majority of the wrestling fans out there. They just—it's it, like they uh, either they don't listen well, or. They just immediately chalk it up to, hey, that's what this is. Because, let's face it, a lot of wrestling fans are casual wrestling fans these days. And they don't they don't necessarily know about the UWF or, or other wrestling. I'm trying not to say that these are all WWE marks. Right. <laughs> well, let's, let's also look at it this way. It's not like the invasion angle... Is brand new, including no. including in 1996. Right at the at the basis of it all, that's what this is. It's an invasion angle. That's all it is, and it's nothing new. It's 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 signing a guy to a big contract, and let's face facts, they he didn't fully expect to to nab him the way that he did. Right. Scott Hall was very dedicated to WWE. Neither one of those guys, if you hear, if you go back to their comments on leaving. Neither one of those guys wanted to necessarily leave. They just wanted they, to be paid more. They wanted more. to get paid. They wanted to get paid more, work less. Guaranteed money. That was the reason why they left. There was not There was no bad blood. As, as a matter of fact, Kevin Nash didn't want to go back initially to WCW. Because look how he was treated. 
<laughs> you know that he couldn't keep a fucking gimmick going because they were all stupid. Absolutely. And then he comes to WWE. He's the Diesel character, and say what you want about him as Diesel, the fucking run that he had as champion, almost a year long. I think it was. I think it was fifty-one weeks, if not if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, it was up there. It was up there. Yeah, it was. It was almost a year, and I mean, he was. He was definitely over. Scott Hall as Razor Ramon was for sure over. Hell yeah. So why why would why would you leave? Well, you got to remember too. Again, I'm real quick here. You 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 were paid when you worked. That's when you got paid. You're going now going to work for a company that is funded by a billionaire and you're being paid guaranteed money. Work less dates, get paid guaranteed money and get paid more money. That's that's why that's why that's why he went. <laughs> but you're absolutely right, though. It, it, when when he when Eric Bischoff signed those guys, it was just like, oh shit, we got. Them. What do you do with them? And it wasn't like Eric Bischoff was this genius Booker because look at what look at the signing of Hulk Hogan. What was it two years prior when they yeah, signed him ninety four? Yeah, two years. They didn't have shit for him. No. They did not have shit for Hogan. You made this big deal. We got Hogan, and then you give him the Dungeon of Doom. You know? <laughs> and those amazing storyline angles oh, that he worked boy. there. So, again, it wasn't like he, he was this amazing matchmaker. Uh, to me, it is it is all very much too coincidental. For, for it to fall into place and it's not the exact same thing it's not the exact same concept of, of, of the two because it wasn't until many months later was like NWO was, was like a brand yeah because for so long it was like what is the new world order what is it the, it was just a thing it was just a group of, of, of outlaws essentially and that's it wasn't until they continued to sign people to the group because it was like you know week after week after week it seemed for a while where the new member was happening it was alright what do we do with this it becomes its own entity unsuccessfully but it becomes its own entity there's a few other things to consider here you talk to the typical wrestling fan and you bring up the NWO and all that immediately Eric Bischoff is either a genius to them or a big dumbass for the way WCW folded. With that being said, this isn't the doing of one man. And I think a lot of people tend to forget that. You had multiple people booking. I think Kevin Sullivan was the one who was booking during the beginning of the NWO. Yeah. So he had a hand in getting that over. Um, you had input from guys like Larry Zabisco, yeah. who, f- f- who, for those of you who don't know, um, Bischoff actually wanted to bring Scott Hall out, complete with music, out of the the entrance that all the other wrestlers come out of, and Larry Zabisco had to tell him like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, this guy's supposed to be an outsider, not part of the company. <laughs> Why would he have his own music already? Why would he come out where the rest of the boys come out? Why don't you have him come out through the audience? Right. 
and then have him interrupt a match like he really doesn't belong there. And obviously the rest is history. You see how it played out. So there you go right there. That's proof positive that Bischoff didn't necessarily know exactly what he had. Right. He knew he had something, but he didn't know exactly what he had. He had two great signees that he had no idea where to put them at. Um, also, from from the Japanese side of things, uh, you got to remember, again, if you're not familiar, Takata was never like the equivalent of Hulk Hogan for the UWFI. He was mid-carter at best. You think of him as like Triple H when Triple H was the, the IC champ. That, that was kind of what Takata was for UWFI. Okay. So for him to win the IWGP title, that was that was nothing like the NWO. Um, that was nothing like Hulk Hogan, who essentially came in and pretty much got the title right out right off the bat. You know. Right. Uh, also, UWFI as a whole, whether they were uh, part of an invasion angle or not. There was no merch. NWO, all the fucking, like, one of the most popular t-shirts in the last fucking 30 years of pro wrestling. It's got to still be, like, top three. Got to be. And then also, the UWI didn't start out hot or strong like the NWO did. Right. They kept, it was like they kept failing, they kept succeeding just enough to get by because of other issues, especially with their own roster. And then somehow they they like they had no choice but to dealt to to give up to their competitor and work with them. So like none of this is reminiscent of the NWO. And then obviously the 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 easiest thing to take away from this is the UWFI was nowhere near as cool as what the NWO was. NWO was over like fucking wildfire. As opposed to UWFI, which was a struggling fucking company who couldn't keep half their fucking roster happy. For one reason or another. So they left. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck? It would be like <laughs> it would be like Hall and Nash going to WCW being part of the NWO for like three weeks and be like, you know what? This isn't for me. I'm going back. And then just leave. Yeah. That would be the equivalent. <laughs> as stupid as that sounds so yeah quite a bit of difference here between the two it, it is an interesting question though it, I mean it's, it's a fair question but uh, I, I don't I don't see I don't, I don't see it because of the, the many differences and, and again you're absolutely right in the sense of first of all if I'm if I'm Eric Bischoff and I did see that it wouldn't strike me up as immediately like, huh, that's a good idea. Because, again, it never worked. Yeah. It, it never worked. So <laughs> if I'm trying to figure out what the fuck to do with these guys, I'm not necessarily going to be like, oh, it's going to work for us. Yeah, why would I rip off a, fa- a failure <laughs> yeah. when I could rip off a success story? So I, 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 don't, I don't buy in to the UWFI uh, as, as being borrowed or stolen, if you will. Uh, as far as the idea, there were some similarities there for sure. But again, as I said earlier, the invasion angle is not new to the industry, and it wasn't new in 1996. Uh, so therefore, I I don't 
I don't buy it because it was just another invasion angle. In this case, done correctly. What lends to the mythos of this question that we're talking about? This, the relationship that this supposedly has between wrestling fans. A lot of this, you have to contribute at least a percentage of to Dave Meltzer. Because when Dave Meltzer first um, brought attention to this, he used the words Japanese-style angle when he started talking about the NWO angle. So immediately, it was like the, the, the rumors that get spread out there and all the bullshit that gets talked... Dave Meltzer does it again, huh? Yeah, you had all those Wrestling Observer readers, the, his fucking faithful, just take it as the gospel, which a lot of them do, and they just assumed, hey, that's what he's talking about. Yeah. And that's where a lot of the, I guess, urban legend, if you will, behind this question comes from. And, and it didn't help that Dave Meltzer used that terminology. But you right. have to understand, in a lot of Wrestling Observer... Fans don't understand it, or I should say Dave Meltzer fans don't uh, necessarily understand, is that the whole reason Meltzer got into the business he's into was because of non-American talent. Talent that was uh, not working here in the States necessarily. The alternative to American pro wrestling. That's why he got in the business. So things like Japanese-style angles and, and, and terminology like that, that's common to him, right. not necessarily everybody else. So he knows that. That's what he's confident in talking about. That's what he had to compare to because that's, that's his bread and butter. And obviously these days he covers a whole lot more than than just the American alternative, but um, yeah, that's I think a lot of people don't understand that. So he, uh, in, in really quick in a nutshell, right? Dave Meltzer back then looked at the American wrestling market as a secondary market, not not the you know not. The end all be all, not the holy grail of professional wrestling. And I, I think it it, it, should, it should go without saying. No matter where you and I go with this podcast, no matter where anybody goes with the podcast or as a writer, as a reporter, ladies and gentlemen, you can't you can't base everything you think about a certain topic. Off of one entity. Right. Dave Meltzer is, is like God in in dirt sheets and, and, and wrestling reporting. And he is not. He is not that. <laughs> and I'm not anti-Dave Meltzer by any means. I, I, I follow what he says and all that stuff. But make your own fucking opinions and figure out what the hell he means by that. Yeah. Do the research like we did. Do research. <laughs> Jesus. You know, it's, it's not fucking hard. It's <laughs> like, hey, uh, he said that, so, you know, Dave Meltzer knows what he's talking Must about. Must be true. Must be true. I mean, oh my God. I get so sick and tired of, of hearing that. Like, oh, well, Meltzer reported this, so it's got to be true. Okay. 
because he's right every <laughs> single time, right? Like he's probably right like fifty percent of the time, if that. If that, if yeah. that, you yep. know, like that's you know, five hundred is is good in baseball, but uh, not good when it comes to <laughs> reporting. So, <laughs> and again, I'm not here to insult Dave Meltzer. I'm not anti Dave Meltzer. I know you're not much of a fan. No, but I am not. <laughs> to me, I mean, I'm so so on 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 the guy, but uh, you know, it's just when when you hear a large amount of people buying into shit like that, it's it gets frustrating. But absolutely, uh, and with that, I think we're gonna take a break. Uh, we've covered a lot of information already, and when we come back, we're gonna talk more WO, less UWF. Fair enough. Too sweet. <laughs> All right. Hang in there, folks. We'll be right back. This episode of the 20 by 20 crew is sponsored by Amazon Prime. Sign up for a free 30-day trial, and you get instant access to thousands of movies and television episodes. You get to borrow Kindle eBooks. You also get unlimited free two-day shipping with no minimum order size. You don't have to purchase. You can cancel anytime and still show the 20 by 20 crew some love. You can sign up for Amazon Prime through the 20 by 20 crew by visiting our website at 20x20crew.com slash podcast slash Amazon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all the support. And now let's get back to the show. His opponent, Steve Dahl. Well, you know, Steve, Steve Dahl was trying to get an offensive going. Wait a minute. But, but what the hell but is going what? on here? But the mall, well, he just got reversed right oh, there. The motor runs him down. What are you talking about? Look, look here. Well, What's what the on? hell? Wait a minute. Somebody give me a mic. Give me a mic. What's with this? Wait, we need security. I have no idea. Hey. Wait a minute. I can't believe it. I can't believe what I'm saying. It's, you people. What's with him? You know who I am. But you don't know why I'm here. Are we going to get security here? Where is billionaire Ted? Okay. Where is the nacho man? That punk can't even get in the building. Me, I go wherever I want, whenever I want. And where, oh where, is Scheme Gene? Cause I got a scoop for you. When that Ken doll look-alike, when that weatherman wannabe comes out here later tonight, I got a challenge for him, for billionaire Ted, for the nacho man, and for anybody else in uh, WCW. <laughs> Hey, you want to go to war? You want a war? You're going to get one. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, as always, for supporting the show. Um, we have pills, bills like everybody else. 
And uh, we thank you for listening. And if you choose to support us otherwise, thank you. Thank you again. Thank you. Uh, as always, we still have wrestling on in the background as we record. And uh, we are now tuned into the infamous NWO sold out pay per view. Well, this is the 98 one. Oh, this is the 98 one. Sorry. Okay. I could turn on the 97 one. No, no, you're okay. <laughs> This is uh, WCW NWO presents. Well, sold out. Yeah, sponsored by Snickers. Uh, <laughs> I think every WCW review in '98 was sponsored by Snickers. Uh, as we see the flock with Raven come to uh, come to the ring. Who uh, who they're facing? I'm not sure. I'm assuming it's Benoit because is it Benoit? Ben, was it Lodi had a Benoit? Oh yeah, Benoit. Something is over. Oh, it is over. I'm trying to remember all these names. I know one guy is like Scotty Riggs. Yeah, Scotty Riggs. Dan Hammer. The guy yeah. with the, like the mesh. The mesh, shirt. yeah. Scotty Riggs. Oh, that's, that's Scotty Richards. Scotty Riggs is the eye patch. Yeah, I didn't see Stevie Richards. Wait, that's not Stevie no, Richards. No, that's not Stevie Richards. Okay, so I'm wrong. The guy with the. Who's that guy? This is Van Hammer with the mesh, you're right. Yeah. There's Lodi with the. The uh, goggles. The goggles. Silly Kidman or just Kidman. I'm not sure who the other fucking dude is. First I thought it was Stevie Richards, and then I saw the tattoo. I don't know what's going on. I love the fly. <laughs> you know what I loved was. Uh, I know you're not a big gamer, but uh, WCW NWO Thunder on PlayStation. You had. Your characters would have, like, you could set their faction. So it'll say WCW, NWO, Black and White, NWO, Wolfpack, The Four Horsemen, and The Flock. And their attire would be based off of what faction you pick on them. Okay. So, like, it was just funny for me to, like, have, like, characters in Flock. Because, like, they'd be wearing, like, rugged, like... (laughs) Shirts and just, yeah, it was it was stupid, but it was fun. You know, gotta keep in mind it was like '98 too, and it came out on PlayStation. But it was it was pretty cool. I love the fly. Yeah, I look at it now. I was like, it's even now. It's 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 an interesting concept, but like, there's no star power. No, <laughs> this faction besides Raven, who got treated like shit in WCW, anyways. Quite so. honestly, I think I think the closest thing we have these days that works is. The Skulk in, yeah. in Evolve. Oh, I love the Skulk. Oh, yeah, it is Benoit coming out. He has a weird walk. He does. It's all the fucking Hindu squats he does. Yeah, I, I wouldn't tell him that. <laughs> I'm afraid you'll hurt me. Good Lord. Don't get gassed, Raven. Yeah. <laughs> Do not get gassed. <laughs> Like, if I ever had a Benoit match, I think I would just, like, run, like, the, the entire week before. Like, just nonstop run. Run for, like, as long as, like, my body would, and then just sleep for the rest. Like, just work, work forced, forced gum run? Yeah, just forced gum run. <laughs> I'm tired. I think I'm gonna go home now. <laughs> Gotta fight Benoit in the morning. <laughs> Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're back and we're still talking turkey about the NWO. Uh, we just covered all the UWF history and how that relates or doesn't relate to the whole story behind the NWO. Yep. 
now for me, I, I just want to pick your brain, if that's okay with you. Pick away. Because uh, you and I experienced this at different times in our lives. Right. So, and, and again, this is the first time we've covered it on the show. Right. So, um, I got a couple questions for you. Tony Schiavone, for sure, out of, out of all of them, or out of most of the people who uh, did color commentary for, for WCW... He, he often says that he was kept in the dark about a lot of stuff. Uh, I know he, I was listening to him one time and he was talking about Terry Taylor mm-hmm. and how Terry Taylor was at gorilla position and he's supposed to be cluing in Tony Schiavone into some of the things he should be discussing while he's commentating. And Schiavone would do it out of habit or because he was trying to be good at his job. Right. And then he was waiting for Terry Taylor to, to like feed him in some more information and Terry Taylor would be repeating what Shivani just said because Terry Taylor was too busy paying attention to other shit in the background or in the gorilla position because the company was so fucked up and disorganized. <laughs> but the announcers for for the uh, the Nitro on May twenty seventh of nineteen ninety six was the first appearance of Scott Hall. The announcers played it like a shoot. They played it like they didn't know what was going on, who this guy was, and so I've always wanted to ask you, how beneficial do you think is it to let? the talent and or commentary know about what's going to go on ahead of time or not let them know ahead of time <laughs> I think I don't think there's really like a concrete answer to this because <clears throat> the cliche answer is it depends on the commentator uh, you got a guy like Michael Cole I tell him every single thing he needs to say do not let him ad lib anything because it's Michael Cole and he sucks. He would still fuck up. He too. would still fuck up, yeah. but yeah. A guy like Tony Schiavone. I'm not saying he's the greatest commentator in the world, but a guy like Tony Schiavone, I, I think made it made it work because let's face facts, he was a, such a trooper for for WCW for so long. You know, even beyond the NWO era, you know, the Vince, especially the Vince Russo era. I learned that Tony Schiavone was very good at keeping composure and trying to do as much damage control as possible when things happened that weren't supposed to happen, per se. That's obviously, in hindsight, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But with something like this, Eric Bischoff wants Scott Hall to come out with the music. Larry Zbysko says, hey, he should come out of the audience. Uh-huh. And if, if you... If you really, like, think about it, like, if you really go back and, and, and to when it happened, like, Larry Zbysko was the one that played the surprise guy, and Tony Schiavone was just like, hey, what what the fuck is this? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> what's happening here? Everything about WCW at that time and the NWO was, was real based. You know, Eric Bischoff said it in so many uh, interviews, WWE was gimmick based they wanted to be real you want to do something real think of think of anything that is happening in the world that's real and it's that's whether it's good or bad 
but it's happening live and on the spot. Your people on camera are there to now react to it at some point. You know, let's say you're on the scene doing, you know, doing a weather report, and all of a sudden there's a giant twister happening behind you. How do you react to that? You know, you weren't we weren't expecting it, but now it's it's there. So you have Scott Hall come in and and then have this this uh, this commentator just kind of like what's happening kind of thing. As a fan, I'm just as confused because sometimes when you know what's happening, you now have to act. And again, it's. You know, this is where we say Michael Cole would fuck it up because it would be like, "Oh my God, it's Scott Hall! What is <laughs> what is he doing here?" Like he's clearly not surprised by it. Like the, when 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 AJ Styles, for example, when he when he made his first appearance at the at the Royal Rumble, like it was totally ruined by everything Michael Cole was saying. Like he was building up this guy as if he had notes written down. Verbatim, and it was like, well, how did you know he was there, Michael Cole? <laughs> you know, you're supposed to make it, as a commentator, you're supposed to make the product as believable as you can. So, the less, the less you, you know, the better in this situation, because it's supposed to be what we talked about last week, and that's shock value. It's supposed to be that. And if your commentator is professional enough to be like, all right, Scott Hall's here, let's run with it. But still has no idea what's going on. As a fan, I'm listening to it and it's like, why is Scott Hall here? What's going on? Why, yeah. why is he here? So I'm I'm a fan of it, but again, it's just like so many other things. It's you gotta you gotta have the right personnel there. And I truly feel, especially in hindsight, that Tony Schiavone was that guy that that be like, all right, this is what we're doing. Let's do it. Speaking of uh, color commentating. Eric Bischoff uh, had has been quoted as saying, the reason he switched up announcers for Nitro was to keep it fresh. He felt the idea of having just the same two guys for an entire two or three hour telecast would just get boring to the audience listening. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with him? Do you disagree with him? Did you have any favorites on on Nitro? I think I'm 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 in the minority. I I was always a Mike Tenay fan. I, I learned in my earlier years that it's like this guy knew wrestling. And yeah, he him and <laughs> uh, to a lesser extent Scott Hudson. Mm-hmm. You know, Scott Hudson was kind of like the the bootleg Mike Tenay, yeah. if you will. <laughs> but yeah, no, I I found myself enjoying Mike Tenay because he was he knew all the like the. He was like the technical wrestling equivalent of a color commentator. If I'm not mistaken, if my memory serves me correctly, he was brought in initially as the cruiserweight guy. Yeah, yeah, just to announce for cruiserweights. Announce for cruiserweights, but like, yeah, it was. He just like he just he just had like this great like wrestling knowledge. But you know what? I I really dug WCW commentators though. I know Bobby Heenan has gone on record saying he didn't necessarily care for his time in, in WCW. But you know what? I love this commentary. I love this commentary. You know, Dusty Rhodes, I, I thought, play, you know, was, was a nice commentary. 
Larry Zbysko was was so so. I mean, he was <laughs> especially listening to it now. You and I were were uh, uh, a few weeks ago before recording. We were watching, listening to one of his episodes, one of the episodes of Nitro, and he just, some of the old school comments that he said it's like holy shit <laughs> just, just things that would be fresh in, in in 2018 or 2019 would be frowned upon oh yeah uh-huh. <laughs> he would have a few day on that but um yeah i always enjoyed it so i does it keep it fresh it, it depends on, on who you're asking i wouldn't say so much keeping it fresh but you had Especially before Thunder, you had one TV show and you had a, a a good amount of commentators that could do the the job well. You know why not mix it up in that sense? Again, I I, I guess that's keeping it fresh. But if it was Tony Schiavone and Bobby Heenan, you know for the most part, I would still be okay with that because they were a good tandem together. Um, again, I, I always flocked more towards Mike Tenay, but he wasn't a main commentator for for WCW. But I I enjoyed his commentary. I enjoyed I really enjoyed most most guys. I don't want to say everybody's, but for the most part, WCW was just good all around as far as commentating to begin with. I can't say I, I'm necessarily a fan of the the switch up. Like it didn't really affect me because growing up, there never was a switch up. Right. It was just you. You got the same set of guys, and that was it. So, uh, no matter how long the the program was that you were watching, whether it be an hour's worth of TV or a couple hours of pay per view, whatever. So, oh, and even today, today's standards, it's, it's the same concept. You might get special guests in certain matches, but yeah, it's, it's the same thing. Uh, you and I were watching Raw earlier. Oh God, yeah, and uh, the. I was telling Matt, cardinal, cardinal sin in wrestling commentating. You never have a three-person team, ever. It's too much. It's too much, and and too much shit can go wrong. And right now, Raw has Michael Cole, Corey Graves, and Renee Young, and they're all terrible. And they're all terrible. <laughs> They're all having side conversations and yeah, they have their own puns. It's ridiculous. SmackDown's not not any better. It's, I don't know what they see in Corey Graves. I really don't like. I remember watching a, an episode of uh, I, I don't know if it was Thirty for Thirty or one of those ESPN shows, and they were doing the NXT episode, and they had the they had Corey Graves and all the concussions, and. It was uh, it was cool because like at the time I felt it was cool because Triple H was like yeah hey, you can't wrestle anymore we're not gonna fire you because that was what they were building on like oh he, I don't, I'm not gonna have a job we're not gonna fire you we're gonna have we're gonna give you this this new job you're gonna be a commentator I was like oh how how nice of them and that's cool and it's like fuck they should have fired his ass because he's just he's just bad he's just he's not a good he's supposed to be this heel commentator and he is absolutely blows at it i couldn't agree more i couldn't agree more he, uh, he tries too hard he does that's <laughs> what it is man he tries too hard some guys just don't have it in them to be a bad guy and i mean i i hate you Corey graves but not because you're a good heel it's because you just <laughs> annoy the shit out of me you make me not want to watch it even more and that's yeah. that sucks because i'm actually trying to give him a shot and 
I got more enjoyment watching it while recording because I didn't have to listen to your shitty commentary. So. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, Matt. Um, going back to that Nitro, that uh, that first Nitro where Scott Hall appears May 27th of 96. Yep. Is there anything you would do different? For that night? No. Well, I, I, the only thing I would maybe do different okay. is maybe help out Scott Hall a little bit and what to say. Practice his delivery a little bit better. Because when you when you edit it, it sounds like, it sounds really good. But when you first when you watch it in its entirety, there's it's really slow delivery. Yeah, it you is. know the where oh where <laughs> is Sting. <laughs> I don't know. He's in the back somewhere, you know. Like I would, you know, I, I I like it when guys are able to, you know, say their say their own lines and you know, kind of create their own, you know, their their own segments. But again, you you are running a big time show here on, on national television. It might be a good idea to be like, hey, Scott, what do you got for us tonight? You know, have them run it by you. Be like, all right, all right, that's good, but you know, maybe t- tweak it here or there, just so it it's just it has more effect. So, I liked what he said. I liked the you know, you want a war, you're gonna get one. That was great. But the lead up to it was you know, you know, the 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 where oh where yeah. You know, it's like I I, I don't know. I don't know where you're going with this. What's, <laughs> you know, but there's other good parts. You know, you you know, you know who I am, but you don't yeah. know why I'm here. I, I always laugh at the part with where he's mentioning Mean Gene. Yeah. Like, where or oh, where is Scheme Gene? <laughs> Do I have a scoop for him? And I'm like, holy fuck! Could you just say it already? <laughs> um. Yeah, he. There was some cool shit he said, but you're right. Like someone should have produced him a little more, at least ran it by him in the back. Yeah, like, yeah. Maybe change this. Maybe don't say this. Yeah, yeah. Just, just you know, your appearance is going to be enough. You know, it's going to get people buzzing. You know, say a little bit and be and be, be done, done with it. Yeah, yes. That's it. Um. <laughs> here's an interesting question that I've never picked your brain about. I had to think back. So, everybody during that time wanted to know who the fucking third man was. Myself included. Yeah. It's the talk of the wrestling world. Who's the third man? Who's the third man? We all know now, well, you should know, <laughs> the original person that was supposed to be, and it wasn't Hulk Hogan, it was supposed to be Sting. Yeah. Which, I mean... Logically, it, there was sense to, to that decision. Yeah. Um, obviously, we all know it was Hulk Hogan. Um, but there were a lot of names thrown out there. And, and I bring this up to kind of take shot at Meltzer. I'm not going to lie. Okay. But I do, I do have a list. And I, I'm just, I want your, your honest-to-God reaction, okay? So I'm going to name them off very slowly. And you can laugh. You can cry. You can, you can call me out on them however you want. Okay. But... So, here we go. Are you ready? Yes. Rowdy Roddy Piper. At that point in his career, absolutely not. Unbelievable to you, or... I... Yeah, it's... It just... There's... You gotta have a buzz. 
there's no buzz. Okay. For Ferrari Piper. All due respect, he's a legend, but 96, who cares? The British Bulldog. A little bit better, in my opinion. <laughs> but, again, there's no there's no buzz there. Who cares? Isaac Yankum. The fucking dentist? The dentist. <laughs> now, now we're talking WCW here. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Oh, Keep in mind, know. these are all legit rumors that were put out there. Not, well, yeah. Yes. Way to go, Meltzer. <laughs> Isaac Yankum. Uh, Brian Clark. No. <laughs> Just no. Uh, Nobody even knows who he is. Crush. What was Crush doing? Was, I think he was an NOD at the time, wasn't he? Probably, yeah. Or, yeah, I don't know. I Yeah, no, 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 no Crush. Lex Luger. Lex Luger's believable, unfortunately. I I don't like it. 1996, I don't like it. Okay. You know, 23, late, 23 years later, or close to it, 22 and a half years later, I still don't like it. But Lex Luger's believable because he's a big name in WCW. He's a baby face. He could be the third guy. Okay. Uh, King Mabel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. Just, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Mabel, but no. Big um, Miz, whatever you want to call yourself. Tatanka. Why? Why is that even? Uh, I believe his name was mentioned originally, if I remember correctly, because I don't I don't think he had a much TV time for the WWF at that point. He, this was, oh yeah, his, this was definitely post this two-year undefeated streak, right? Yeah. And so everybody thought, well, not everybody, but... He's going to jump ship. He's going to jump ship. People are going to give a shit about it. All right. <laughs> uh, and then lastly, probably probably the most uh, interesting one here, Bret the Hitman Hart. Can you imagine Bret Hart leaving on his own? No screw job. And then, and then does this? Does this angle? I think, I think it would have been... Uh, I think I think it would have got a, a, a really big reaction, but I still don't know that it would be as big as Hulk Hogan. That's fair, but I do want to say this this point though, and I and I know you and I are going to talk about this in a second here that a guy like Bret Hart brings more longevity to the heel faction than than Hogan ever ever could. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, it definitely would change the entire dynamic of the NWO. Because because look at it this way, too. Bret Hart, even though he's not as big of a name as Hulk Hogan, not arguing that point at all, Bret Hart is, especially in 1996, is still the face of WWF. Yeah. If he leaves, if he throws that contract back at Vince, say, hey, I'm done, and goes to WCW and does this, I mean, you got like that is that is more of, of a slap in the face than than Hogan because first of all, Hogan's been with WCW for two years at this point, and then like Bret Hart, like that was the guy. That was that was their guy. That was you know that would be like you know taking your top guy in any company and having him join the opposition. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a big fucking deal in that in that sense too. In, in the sense that you crumbled one company 
and 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 completely flourish another company all in one night. Now you mentioned obviously it would bring more longevity to the NWO and again it would drastically change the impact. Right. Concerning Sting, how do you feel about Sting compared to Bret Hart? Do you think it's a very similar situation? Do they have a is the fan reaction the same? How would how would you feel if if, if it actually was Sting instead of Hogan? So how I, how I would rate it as far as the the Bash at the Beach 1996 fan reaction? Yes. Hogan number one, Bret Hart number two, Sting number three. Really? However, I do I will say this: Sting, out of those three guys, is the best option for the NWO. And I know a lot of people are going to be thinking, they're going to think of me crazy here, but Hulk Hogan is the absolute worst thing to happen to the NWO. And if, even if you're a Hogan fanboy, and I know people out there listening are Hogan fanboys, and that's fine, Hogan, just like every other time Hogan does anything, Hogan does for Hogan. When you have a faction like the NWO, you have to, you know, for lack of better terms, you have to be all in for the cause. Hogan's never going to be for the cause of anything besides himself. Just like the situation going on right now. He, he's not apologetic for what he did. He just wants to be back because he, he wants to be back. He wants to be back. That's it. Anyways, Sting is, out of, out of those three guys, he's the only guy that has zero WWF affiliation. And you, you listen to Scott Hall, you listen to Kevin Nash, you know, both of those guys said it had to be a WWE guy. It, it, that's that's what made it effective, and I agree with that for that June pay per view at Bash at the Beach. I agree with that just for that one night. The overall process of of the NWO, because Sting is the guy that will help get that that whole name over, if even if it means sacrificing himself. You gotta remember, Sting was the ultimate baby. He was the biggest baby, one of the biggest baby faces, maybe behind Hogan at the time. But again, if you if you go back to those interviews, you know from '96, Hogan nobody gave a shit about Hogan anymore. Hulkamania was was a joke. It was mediocre. It was watered down. They didn't have anything for him. Hogan didn't join the NWO, and it came. This came out of his mouth. He didn't join the NWO because he thought it was a cool thing. He joined the NWO because. Hulkamania was dead. Yeah, this was the perfect time to kill it officially. <laughs> you know, I'm he he based what all he did was he pulled the plug of, on life support for Hulkamania. It wasn't like it was a big move for him. He just yeah, fuck it. What else is there doing? I'm not making merch, you know, money off Hulkamania shirts anymore. So why not change the character? Sting doesn't have that mentality. And he's proven that time and time again. He is a company guy. That's why he stuck around with that company all the way until it, it, it sank. Yeah. He stayed on the Titanic. He died with it. And he would be that guy that would get this idea over. He would be the guy that when you brought in younger talent like a Paul White, he wouldn't overshadow them with, hey, I got to be in the spotlight, not this guy. You know, He would get the younger talent over because... He was accustomed to that because that guys like Ric Flair did that to him. 
get these young cats over because there has to be a future. This is the perfect opportunity to do that. Bret Hart, I want to say would do the same thing, but Bret Hart's also very egotistical in his own right and can be a very difficult person to deal with in his own right. And we've seen that during his time in WWE. You know, especially when you start dealing with guys like like Hall and Nash, who he wasn't necessarily too fond of, and their <laughs> and their antics. So, I don't know if that if that mesh would, would would if they would mesh well. But Sting was a WCW guy, and the NWO was the biggest thing to happen. It's it, it for WCW at that time, or really any time in the '90s, especially. And it's fitting that the the first major rival that they had that that faction had was Sting. He was going to get them over whether he was with them or against them. And prove you know change my mind on that one. I'm the change my mind guy. Change my <laughs> mind. Sting, the longevity of the NWO, we're not talking about shock value anymore. The shock value is great, but as we talked about on the show before, it goes away. What do you do with it next? We saw what Hogan did with it. He took it. He ran with it to keep his name on top. Nothing more, nothing less. When when he started going downhill, he wanted out. You know, he wasn't involved in all the other bullshit that came with it because it, it didn't help his character. It didn't help this gimmick. Sting would have probably made sure that didn't happen, but if it did, because he can only have so much control, if it did, he would... I guarantee you he would ride it to the very end and do everything he could in his power to get the NWO to where it was supposed to be. And with that kind of leadership, the NWO would have been much more successful. The NWO would have been much more akin to what the Bullet Club is today because of that type of longevity. And and again, we've, we see it with our own eyes yeah. here you, with the Bullet Club. You have a bunch of guys who are willing to help each other get over. Yeah. As opposed to, a, you know, a few that are just egotistical and have to have it their way. You know, I, I think you're absolutely right about that part. Um, Sting as the third man, for me, it makes sense. Yeah. Because he's super WCW. Yeah. So why not have him betray WCW? I think it would have got a very similar reaction to Hogan, but I still don't know if it would have been as big as to what happened with Hogan for that night. For that night, yeah, I don't, I don't think I, I wholeheartedly agree that that Hogan for the shock value that was that was your biggest shocker, and there's, there's I don't think anyone could touch that. What I would have liked to happen, but it would never happen in a million years. Even today, I would have loved for Hogan to come out like he did, and then turn on Savage like he did. But then you have Hall and Nash look puzzled, like, "What the fuck are you doing? You're not our third guy." Yeah, and that's when you bring Sting out, and then have Sting join the NWO, and then leave Hogan like without a faction. <laughs> yeah. But again, like I said, that would never happen well, in see, a million years because of Hogan and how he is. If you run with that, let's say you ran with that, you you still kill two birds with one stone there because, and yeah, I know that's a, that's a derogatory term nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, Hogan Hogan does that. He turns on Savage, 
he doesn't join the NWO because of everything you said. It's it's not that like Hogan just didn't do a heelish thing. So now he doesn't have a faction, but he's also not the good guy that we all thought he was. You didn't have to join the NWO and become Hollywood Hogan to to change your gimmick. You're Hogan. You have creative control. You do whatever. The f- I mean, yeah. I mean, again, Sting was the backup plan, anyways. I mean, for those who don't know, Hulk Hogan spent most of Bastards of the Beach at his buddy's house in Daytona. Yeah. Because he's like, I'll, I'll let you know what, what I decide. Yeah, because he wasn't sure. He wasn't sure. And then he comes out. Hall and Nash don't know what's going on. They don't know <laughs> if he's gonna if he's going to do the job or not. So that look of, sh- of shock on her face is legit shock. <laughs> and, and, and ladies and gentlemen, I get it. Hulk Hogan's a big name. He got... Wrestling out of carnivals and all that bullshit. That's fine. Is that the guy you want to do business with? I don't. Especially if you got this beautiful thing that is uh, is, on, is on the verge of breaking through and becoming the next big thing. And it's like, well, we got to wait on fucking you know, Princess over here decide what he wants to do. And... <laughs> Everything goes through him, and it's like it just it it doesn't it doesn't work for the long run, and that's why the NWO by by 1998 is is essentially a dying breed. I have another little bit of um, fantasy booking here for you. Um, let's play a little role reversal, All right? With Hogan and Sting turning heel. Yeah. Okay. So. What would happen in terms of the overall impact of the situation, that is the NWO, if Sting was the third man, but Hogan later came on board as part of the NWO? And when I say that, you can make him NWO, he, you can make him part of the original NWO, you can make him part of the, the Wolfpack, whatever you want to do. Basically, he takes the role of what Sting took. If you took, if you look at ninety seven, yeah, I don't know, man. I I kind of don't want Hogan in there because my, my biggest fear is the creative control. The creative control that he has, you know, he could just. I don't want I don't want him part of that. I don't want him even rivaling against them because we're gonna we're, what we're gonna get is UWFI versus New Japan. Where it's like, hey, Sting can't beat me, brother. Like, I gotta get over on Sting. And it's like, come on, Hulk. You, you promised you wouldn't do this. Oh, brother, I changed my mind, brother. And it's like, Such an uncanny Hogan. <laughs> He's never done that before. No, I, I, I kind of want him as far away from the NWO as possible because, again... Hulk Hogan took the NWO name just to revitalize his career. That is all he did for the, for that for that group. Did it help sell T-shirts? You bet it did. But again, it's 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 all part of get Hogan over. Get Hogan over first. You know, it's like a championship-winning team, but you got to pass the ball to Hogan all the time. Hogan's got to be the one that scores the game-winning shot. Hogan's got to be the one that is in the spotlight. Hogan's got to be the one with the championship belt. Anybody else, and, and Hogan's not happy. And that's a problem. With that being said, 
if Sting was still the third man, how plausible would it have been to have that version of the NWO with Sting as the third guy face off against a WCW roster of a new generation of Hulkamaniacs? Like, what if Hogan had not been the third guy and he takes up the helm for WCW and kind of converts them to, like, Team Hulkamaniac? Would it, would it have done anything for you? Would you have changed your mind about what you just said? Or do you think Hogan still pulls his creative control card and ruins it all? <laughs> I think I, I think it still gets ruined because of the fact of where he fits in it. And more likely it's going to be for the World Heavyweight title. And more likely it's going to be him holding on to that title. If he's like in a managerial role, I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it because... I could I could see him being like, hey, it's not just not your time, brother. Like you'll have your time. He's more. I think he'd be more accepting to, hey, like you guys can't win every single match, because if it's Hogan versus NWO, guess who's gonna win ninety percent of the time? It's gonna be Hogan. It could be Hogan versus, you know, twenty members of the NWO. Hogan's gonna win. Okay. That's just that's Hogan, <laughs> and if if you don't agree with me, that's fine. But that's 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 Hogan in a nutshell. Hogan with like, you know, his you know another a group of upcomers, upstarters, or, or or just a group in general. Like let's say he hooked up with DDP because DDP was a, a major rival of the NWO. You know, he grabbed a Booker T. Okay. You know, maybe a Chris Benoit or something like that. Who knows? And, and said, hey, you know, we're going after these guys. These guys are running. You guys are running around destroying, you know, our, our company. We got to take it back. I think it works better that way. But, again, I still I still would rather have him doing something else, anything else. You know, I would, I would honestly, if I owned the company and I was stuck with him on my contract, I would pay him. You know the millions of dollars I paid him to fucking clean clean the bathrooms or something. Like, <laughs> I want you doing clean nothing, do nothing. But in reality, yeah, it, it could work in that sense. But anytime that Hogan is involved in anything, it becomes very, very troubling, very troubling and very uncomfortable because of the of the monster that that he is. And Hollywood does not rule, as his T-shirt says. <laughs> I know a few guys who would would uh, beg to differ with you. <laughs> well, let me tell you something, bro. <laughs> Thinking back to the the actual NWO roster, yeah, from start to finish, right. I know there's there's a lot of fat there that you need to trim. <laughs> Besides the obvious in Virgil or Vincent, whatever you want to call. What are you talking him. about? He's like the best guy. <laughs> uh, was there someone? Or, or a few that, like, you particularly had beef with being NWO. Like, you just could not stand that they were a part of the NWO. I mean, where do you begin with that one? Um, <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a few, and they're not necessarily fat as far as the, the company is concerned, but just, ironically, the guy that we talked about, when we first start talking about the third member here, and that's Bret Hart. Bret Hart, I mean, obviously, he, this is 1997, this is post screw job. Why the fuck was he even there? 
Yeah, it didn't. It didn't make sense. <laughs> you know, and and it, what made what made it even worse for me was he was supposedly affiliated with the NWO, but like he never fucking wore any of the shit. <laughs> yeah. Never, <laughs> not even once. Yeah, you know, even with the Bullet Club guys, like as you know, they're all of the Bullet Club. Yeah. But they all have their own individualism within that, so they always come to the ring a little bit different. But at some point or another, they do sport the Bullet Club logo. Yeah. You know? And Bret Hart was having none of that shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, I, I, I guess he's NWO. He doesn't seem like he wants to be, but... So, yeah, that was always a turnoff for me. I mean, you got guys like um, The Disciple, uh, Bruce Beefcake in, in, in WWE. I forget uh, his real name. I mean, he had absolutely no no business being in the NWO besides the fact that he was Hogan's buddy. Uh, the uh, other stupid ones, DiBiase. Yeah, for what, me, what that, was the point. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um. Even Bischoff agreed with that one. Like he jumped the shark with that one because he was like, he he didn't even have the temperament. Yeah. You know, he just didn't, and he stuck out like a sore thumb from the beginning. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a fan of his, his in ring work, but but Conan was another guy that you know what didn't fit in the NWO. I, I was never that big on the NWO Wolfpack because I think it it it, um, it definitely distilled and watered down what was supposed to be the Wolfpack. So having him as part of that, like it didn't work for me. But I will say. The lineup that they had for War Games, what, what was that, 97? Yeah. Where they killed off the Horsemen? Right. Conan was one of them. Yeah. And that match, that lineup of guys completely worked for me. I fucking loved every minute of it. I mean, I, I know there's one that you're going you're gonna to throw out right away. But he wasn't, he was part of like the silver, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about good old Double J. Oh, Jesus. He's a, he was a member of the, of the NWO. Well, he was also a member of the Bullet Club, too. Oh, yeah, don't remind me. Yeah. That doesn't count. It does. <laughs> Absolutely does. Unfortunately. Uh, Rick Rude, another guy that didn't didn't really do anything for the NWO, in my opinion. Yeah, no, not really, because he wasn't wrestling. Yeah, he wasn't wrestling at the time. And, like, the way, the way that DX essentially treated his ass anyways when he left, it yeah. was just like... Uh, you're you're not wanted anywhere. Uh, obviously, guys like Horace Hogan, Stevie Ray. Oh God, neither one of them either. Yeah, uh, I mean, there's just just other guys. Just, there's other guys that I for, I'm looking at the list, and there's I forgot were even in the NWO. I forgot like Disco Inferno was technically in there. Wasn't he Wolfpack? Yeah. Uh, Disco Inferno. Fucking horrible, horrible, horrible shit. Yeah, it's just yeah, just it just became a who's. Uh, you know, a not-so-who's-who, I should say. But, um, you know, but then they dropped the ball with some guys, like like the Giant. Giant was a great addition to the NWO. That's exactly who you want on your team. And they, they threw him out. They, yeah. They, they, I don't know what, what happened. Do you know the reason why? No, I don't. I'm, I'm assuming Hogan has something to do with it because he was fucking over. Yeah. He was He was too over. He was supposed to be the next guy. Next well, you thing. know, you know, he likes to fight big guys. So yeah. I mean, it only made sense to like want to fight the biggest guy all the time. I guess. 
But, uh, you know, there's other guys that, you know, were, were kind of, for me, especially the younger generation, we, you know, we were, he was synonymous with NWO, and that was, you know, guys like Scott Norton, uh, who, although was never a huge factor. Vicious and delicious. You know, and the thing is, I was, I'm not a huge Buff Bagwell fan, but ever since I started talking about that, I went back and watched their matches, watched them together. I'm telling you, man. I give you that. It, I, I give it, you. It, it, it works. Worked. Yeah, it, it, it does worked. work. It, it, Again, I am also not a big Buff Bagwell fan. Yeah. But for whatever reason, Vicious and Delicious worked, man. <laughs> Holy fuck. I, I don't know why. You'll probably be disappointed in me in this one, but I I didn't mind Lex Luger and the Wolfpack. Why? I, what is I, wrong with you? <laughs> I just... I don't know. I just... It kind of just... You must still be sick. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I did. I didn't hate it. I didn't hate it. I didn't didn't say I loved it, Man. but I didn't. Ha- I guess a part of it was because I was just somewhat happy to see uh, Sting and Luger on, on the same page again. Because being such a Sting fan and, and watching them, especially in in you know ninety five ninety six, you got to see that tandem together. It was just, it was cool to see them on the same team. I guess maybe that was the only reason why. And even Conan, for whatever reason, fit better in, in that faction than they did in NWO. But I, I agree with you what you said with the War Games match. But yeah, there's there's some cool additions though to it as well. I mean, Kurt Henning was obviously a huge part of that. Again, I, part then, of the War Games. The war Games. Yeah. Oh man. I mean, he was the reason why the he turned on the Horseman that night. So you know, there's definitely some good here, but like, there's a lot of wasted. Potential in the talent roster. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you go to the Bullet Club, and again, we we, we do the Bullet Club uh, comparison because if you if you ask those guys, a lot of it was inspired by the NWO. It's an invasion angle. Yeah. When it first came out, Gaijin. They were fucking too sweetened. Well, they're still too sweetened in New Japan. Yeah, they're still too sweetened. Uh, But you look at you look at where it started. You know, Bad Luck Fale, uh, Carl Anderson, uh, Prince Devitt, and then and, and Tama Tonga. And where, where it's gone now, only, I would say, AJ Styles and Cody Rhodes came into the group with a big name. Yeah. And, you know, you, you know some of you would be like, oh, well, no, well, they have Kenny Omega, they have the Young Bugs. They weren't big. No, they, they weren't, weren't big, big at all. names. You know, Kenny Omega was was a junior heavyweight trying to find his name. You know, he had this cleaner gimmick. They brought him in. He was a junior heavyweight. And then he does the shocking turn on AJ Styles. That's what got him over. You know, the Young Bucks, they were brought in, I believe, by Anderson, if I'm not mistaken. I believe so. And it was just one of those things where it's like, do what you guys are doing, but do it here. And... He guaranteed them it'll work, and it worked. It you know it wasn't one of those things where it's like they, you know, hey, we're gonna we're we're vice presidents of a company. Like these guys were actually struggling to find a home. They were independent stars trying to trying to get themselves a name, and for whatever reason, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it was one of those things like situations that the Rockers had in the early days of of WWE, where it was just like you guys are you guys are punks. <laughs> you guys are punks, and we want nothing to do with you. And it's kind of like, what the fuck did we do? Because everywhere they went, it was a bad reputation, bad reputation. I'm not saying that they were perfect in the situation, but 
it almost seemed as if everywhere they went, bullshit came with it. And <laughs> they were a perfect fit for the Bullet Club, I guess. Because it certainly worked. Adam Page, another guy. Adam Page was a guy that, that went from faction to faction in Ring of Honor. Couldn't find a fucking thing to do. Joins the Bullet Club. Becomes a huge success. You know, uh, Marty Skrull, another example. A, a guy who um, found his name in England, Rev Pro being one of them. You know, known for a rivalry with, with another junior heavyweight and Will Ospreay. That's about it. It's about all I knew of him when he came to, to Ring of Honor. Has a successful run as, as television champion that, to everyone's surprise. And then Kenny Omega endorses him and puts him in the, the Bullet Club. And it's like, oh, shit. And things <laughs> got real with him. So the point I'm trying to make is they developed their talent. Whether they became junior heavyweight champions or tag team champions or world champions or just being legit names in whatever company they're, they're, they're competing in, they became a legit force to be reckoned with. When you join the Bullet Club, and we're seeing now with Jay White even more now, where if you join the Bullet Club, you have this opportunity to get big. And that's what a good faction does. A faction is not supposed to be as strong as their leader. It should be as strong as your weakest link. And if your weakest link is, you know, somebody like, I might sound shitty here, but someone like Tangaloa, you ain't doing so bad. No, not at all. Because that's a hell of a worker. <laughs> I'm not including Gato or Jado on that, by the way. But, uh, like, that's that's where the NWO lacked. And again, I'm not saying Sting would have fixed the problems. Because WCW had a lot of fucking problems. When it came to booking. But, you know, beyond Hogan. But Hulk Hogan didn't, will never have that mentality. Hey, you know, we got this, 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 uh, this buff bagel guy. Like, what's he doing? We got to get him over. It's, no. It's, yeah. I got my belt. You guys do whatever the fuck you want to do. I'm going to go, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave. I'm not even going to be at the arena. I'm not saying that's what happened, but he, he basically just didn't give a fuck. And that's why anything fails. You know, again, you're you're as strong as your weakest link. And you look at this roster, there's a shit ton of weak links on here. Oh, yeah. And that's the problem. Uh, Was there anyone... So, let's go with the the premise that it wasn't Hogan, it was Sting or Bret Hart as the third man, okay? Okay, fair. With that being said... Was there anyone on the WCW roster that didn't end up being NWO that you would have liked to have seen the WCW push homegrown who wasn't from the WWE and elevate by way of the NWO? I'm watching them right now. I think I think what Booker T lacked was was character. I'm watching Booker T, by the way, for those who who can't see me right now. Uh, I'm watching Booker T, and one thing he la- one thing he had was raw talent. One thing he lacked 
was 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 character, and especially in a in a uh, era that thrived on characters more than physical abilities. And Booker T with a little more edge to him definitely works. Especially you, you know you you look at I think it was ninety was ninety seven or ninety eight when he had that best of seven series with Chris Benoit. Oh man, uh, I I think it was ninety eight. Ninety eight. Okay. Yeah. I mean, imagine him doing that same best of seven series, but him representing the NWO with a little more edge, a little more heelish tactics, still the same great wrestling ability. You're still going to get that same type of, 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 of seven matches, but now you have to worry about, you know, is Booker T going to go? What is he going to do? Is is he? You know, are you going to are you going to get heelish tactics? You know, how is Chris Benoit going to overcome that storytelling like that? It's not just based off of great wrestling, which I'm okay with all day long, but as far as if we're talking about 1998 professional wrestling. The fans of any, whether it's WCW or WWF, we'll stick with those two for now, they want storytelling as well. That works tenfold for them, in my opinion. Uh, Booker T was, 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 not that he needed the NWO, obviously he had a successful career without it, but with the NWO, especially with a sting or a legit uh, person that gives a shit about upcoming homegrown talent, I think he's the right guy. I think with Sting being in the NWO, I think it would have, I think it would have been totally doable to keep Booker T, Team WCW, but but elevate him to a higher status on that team. Have him become either a, a high mid Carter or a main eventer. That's true too. You know, yeah, and let him too. just let him like he's got the raw talent. Let him do it. Get it. Get him in there with someone who's gonna help uh, help him grow and help put him over. I think you have the same same uh, result happen. Just as part of Team WCW as a, as opposed to Team NWO. Instead of waiting to two thousand to finally give him the belt. Yeah. Right. You know, wasn't his first title reign at Bash of the Beach 2000 during the infamous yeah. Hogan Russo situation mm-hmm. what, a, what a way to win his first title huh yep that's how he got the shot that's how he got the shot yeah. was, hey what are you doing tonight yeah pretty much yeah <laughs> uh, WCW fuck what about you though what do you like as far as NWO I'll, I'll ask you the same question who was in the, who who should have been in there that wasn't mm-hmm. um, that was WCW and I guess I, I feel the same way. I should include ECW, too. Like, had they had to be strictly WCW, not ECW or WWF. <laughs> I, think if, I think if Kevin Sullivan was part of the NWO, it would have changed the dynamics between them and the Horsemen. Only because of what happened between him and Chris Benoit. But I think it would have made for some really great television. Yeah. And if they had worked it out to where they had a war games closer to 
the time where all that shit was going on between them two, and to have Sullivan part of Team NWO during that time, I think it would have, dude, it would have escalated so fucking much, and we would have got to see something as close to a shoot as possible without it being a complete shoot, and it would have been great. Much more than we got to see. You have all the cruiserweights that came in. And beside uh, Six, I mean, who did they really have that was, like, legitimately cruiserweight material? Like, true cruiserweight material. I can't think of anybody else besides uh, Six. Nobody. I think they were lacking in that. In that, like, and you had, like, the pick of the fucking litter. (laughs) You know? Yeah. I mean... Did I want to see a Dean Malenko as part of the NWO? No. Did I want to see a Rey Mysterio as part of the NWO? No. But what about someone like Psychosis? Right. I thought that would have been a decent... He could have had a decent run as part of the NWO. Um, I don't know how I feel about Eddie Guerrero. I think it might have worked. But again, like it's all what-ifs at this point. But they should have. They should have explored uh, more cruiserweights to be added. Give them a, a much more rounded roster. Yeah, I mean, obviously, quantity wasn't their issue. <laughs> <laughs> as uh, I think, as we're watching Sold Out, this is the night the Dusty joins, right? Doesn't he join 98? Yeah. He turned on Zabisco. Uh, anyways, um... This was the perfect. Uh, this is this is the this is like the perfect time, the perfect situation to where you're trying to. the The overall concept of the NWO, once it became a thing, was it was going to be its own entity. It was going to be its own company within a company. They yeah. were they were an invading company. You do that by by taking over everything. You know, what if what if for for one of the one of the the, the angles that they do at pay per view, the NWO walks away with every single championship in WCW. From the world heavyweight title to the tag title, TV title, US title, and cruiserweight, it's just like they own everything in WCW. Man, something like that though is so tricky in this situation because. Because of the way it went down. I think if, if Hogan wasn't part of the NWO and right. you had somebody else instead, and then they they took all the titles, that would have worked. Well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, that would have worked. I'm still playing with that mentality. Okay. That, that Hogan, Absolutely. That yeah. definitely would have worked. Because if, if, if we still had Hogan as part of the NWO and they run rough shot with all the titles, fucking forget about it. What would have happened was that Hogan would be he would he would win the, have the World Heavyweight Title, he would win the tag team title in a handicap match, he would be handed the television U.S. title, and then he would say, "I'm a cruiserweight now," and yeah. take the cruiserweight title. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm still going with, with a Sting or really anybody with a realistic mentality in professional wrestling, uh, NWO. I think that was that was the the, the concept, and I, and and again, 
you never want a faction to be too strong in that sense. However, that was the whole point that they were they were better than WCW. They were better than that entire roster. And you know, I'm not saying that they're going to be everyone's going to be champion forever, but it's just at one point they walk away and they have well, obviously we're better. We have all the gold. And again, this has been proven to be successful in the way of of booking. When you look at the Bullet Club, yeah, and I'm not saying they had every championship in New Japan at the same time because obviously that wasn't the case, but they came damn near close multiple times, right? And it went over like crazy, and it was a good thing for New Japan, especially too. It's it's a, a, a Gaijin group that is, you know running with most of your titles in a Japanese company. So same thing here. You're clearly an outsider. You're clearly not wanted. I mean, yeah, the fans love you, but as far as the angle goes, you're clearly not wanted. And you come in and you dominate. You know, it's... It, it, you know, Think of the, 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 like, the Tom Brady in the Super Bowl every year. You know, Unless you're a fan of it, you don't want it. You don't want that to happen. <laughs> but God damn it, they're that good, and they're they're gonna keep. It's gonna keep happening. So that would be that's the case of, of the NWO, where it could have been, where it's, hey, it's we're that good. You can't stop us. Your your talent pool isn't as good as our talent pool. And that's that's the way that you get you know legitimacy in in your faction. Is by having them get over. That's where the UWIF and and New Japan Pro Wrestling failed because nobody got over, or one guy got over, I should say. Yeah, one guy. <laughs> and uh, you know that's that's your problem with that. That became your problem with the NWO was is that there just wasn't enough guys getting over. It was it was Hogan. And then a little bit of, you know, National Hall. And then it became all National Hall. And it just, it wasn't a well-oiled machine from the get-go. And again, I'm not going to go out and say, I don't want to hear anyone saying, oh, Sting, Sting would have fixed all the problems. No, I'm not saying that. Sting's one guy. But. He's got the best DVD. He's got the best DVD. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think leadership goes a long way, and and absolutely, man. You know, for all for all the Hogan marks out there, I, I really don't give a fuck about how much you love Hogan and this and that and carnivals and all that shit. Hulk Hogan lacks leadership. Hulk Hogan is, you, you know what he is? He's the master chief of pro wrestling. He was <laughs> he was built. He was built to be indestructible, and goddamn it, he is. Oh man! But that's it. He's not a fucking leader. <laughs> Although technically, the master chief could be considered a leader, but I digress. But he's he, he he didn't he didn't build himself to where he's at. He didn't do that on his own, and he has no desire, including today, to help get other talent over. And and that's where any faction will fail. You think you think evolution would would have survived if Triple H buried Randy Orton? I say he buried Batista. Yeah. But if he buried Randy Orton, now to me, 
both guys deserve to be buried. Randy Orton fucking sucks, too. <laughs> but, but again, evolution doesn't work if you don't evolve. You know, I mean, shit, even DX got their guys over, especially during the DX Army era. You know, X-Pac was fighting for the light heavyweight title. The New Age Outlaws were a successful tag team that won many tag team titles. And then, of course, Triple H. I mean, it, it wasn't like it was just one guy being successful and everybody else was like, eh, go ahead, do do whatever you can. It was get everybody fucking over. So that's where the NWO fails. So at the end of, at the, end of the day, they're, they're not... They're, they're better than the UWIF, but... Or UWFI, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> I forget their name already. It's okay. But... They still made the same mistakes in the long run because this is a company. This, this is this is a faction that potentially could have helped save WCW. Would it have helped the NWO run roughshod over people if they went and uh, shoot it on people? Like a couple, couple random stiff kicks here and there. Breaking orbital balloons and whatnot. Oh, I would have loved to see it with Goldberg. <laughs> Can you imagine having them do that? And uh, we're we're going back to the Hogan era, but imagine them doing that during Hogan's or even during Goldberg's undefeated run. Not with like the with how they did it with the taser, with the taser. Yeah, but like actually like hurt him, hurt him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the heat that you would get? That's a good point. Yeah, that would that definitely would have worked, especially if it was Hogan. Especially if it was Hogan, the Georgia Dome. Yeah, do it at the Georgia Dome oh, the night that Hogan drops the title. Which, by the way, it's fucking stupid that they did it on a Nitro. <laughs> by the way, I get it. You're at the Georgia Dome, but do it on pay per view. Hogan versus Goldberg. I don't care for either one of those guys, but fuck, people love those guys. Do it on pay per view, anyway. That's another mistake of WCW. But, uh, yeah, do do something like that on, uh, again, so just imagine, like, some of the some of the biggest matches that they had, and and you, you shoot. You know, I, I don't know if we should ever be condoning that type of action, but certainly if you're going to get the, the name over... I guess it's that's one way to do it. That's the nature of the business, right? You know, <laughs> it certainly could have. It certainly would have worked. It certainly could have worked, I should say. But again, I'm, I, I, for anyone that's gonna get at me later, NWO wasn't going to be the only thing that saved WCW. But man, if done correctly, if 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 NWO was as high as they were in '96, '97, and most of '98. In 99, 2000, and 2001, there's a good chance Time Warner would have changed their mind on professional wrestling. If they were still as hot yeah. as they are. Because what did they have to go with? The shit product that was 2000. I was 10 years old in 2000. I'm, to all, to all due respect to any 10-year-olds that may be listening to this show, 10-year-olds aren't very smart when it comes to... <laughs> What they like, what they don't like. They're wishy-washy. I can tell you, without a, you know, without a doubt in my mind, 
that WCW was dog shit in 2000. Oh, yeah. There was, it, was, it was dog shit. <laughs> there, there was nothing good to watch all year on that fucking It was the type of company. dog shit that when you got it stuck to the bottom of your shoe and you cleaned it off, it was still there. It was still there, yeah. Yeah, man, it was it was boot dog shoe. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was just overall just it was bad and it need it, it lacked good TV and 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 NWO during its heyday was good TV and it was over and I I get it to some people like a lot of things it's a fad. You know, we see that with Bullet Club. Oh, it was you know, it was cool. Now it's not cool anymore. No, it's still fucking cool. Shut up. You're not a real fan. <laughs> but you see that, in, you know, like metal with 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 heavy metal. Oh, yeah. Uh, Slayer used to be cool. No, they're still fucking cool. Shut up. <laughs> or video games used to be cool when I was a kid. Okay, like you be boring adult then. I I don't know, but. <laughs> Like it, it, you know, to some people it was a fad. You know, for life was just a gimmick, and it wasn't something that they really meant. But for others out there, the passion ones, they still existed. They wanted to watch, but you give them no reason to watch. They're gonna go to the competition, and that's why the competition won. Had they have done things right and kept it going strong, there's a good chance that the NWO would have influenced. The rest of that fucking company to get their shit together. Yeah, I, I I'll never know. We'll not. We'll never know. But there's a good chance that it could have happened. Once again, we're doing our obligatory NWO episode, and uh, we're watching NW WCW NWO sold out 1998, and the B team just came in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> Consisting of Conan, Vicious and Delicious, and Vincent. Uh, and they're going to go up against Ray Trailer and the Steiner Brothers with Ted DiBiase. Oh, he's not Big Bubba anymore? No. Just pre-Papa Pump, Scott Steiner. I, I can't stand Papa Pump. I was watching a video earlier today. It was the Steiner Brothers versus uh, Doom. Yeah. And he was doing backflip power slams. Yeah. I was like, that's, that's pretty cool. Dude, I'm telling you. That's pretty cool. I can, I, I can, I can dig that. But yeah, I, I don't, I don't like Scott Steiner. I don't like, <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, the Steiner brothers, I like watching their older stuff, but man, those steroids, they got to his, got to his head. Hell yeah, they do. This is an idiot. I mean, who doesn't love Steiner math, but, you know, Jesus. <laughs> that's another guy, too, that, uh. Trim the fat in the NWO. Mm-hmm. Don't don't need them, ladies and gentlemen. As we watch the B team try to get their shit together, <laughs> um, we would like to hear from you guys about your feelings about the NWO. Um, what you liked, what you didn't like, what you would have done different. Um, we're available on social media. We're on Twitter at twenty x twenty crew. We're on Instagram at twenty x twenty crew. You can email us. 20x20crew at gmail.com um, Of course we're available on YouTube as well 20x20crew.com slash podcast slash YouTube where we have the following contest It's where we fantasy book your favorite wrestlers and our favorite wrestlers in matches that normally probably and 
most definitely did not happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash 20x20crew is our official page. And, of course, come and hang out and talk in our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash 20x20talk. And, uh, of course, our home on the web, 20x20crew.com, where you find all of our previous episodes and uh, wrestling knowledge and, and what have you. This has been uh, pretty enlightening for me. Uh, I don't know why we waited so fucking long, but thank <laughs> you for the fan request, guys. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, that's awesome. Keep them coming. And, uh, yeah, definitely keep them coming. Um but yeah, I, this this was this was nice. I like this. I I didn't want to do the cliche NWO episode <laughs> where we talk about the history of the NWO. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean it's I just didn't want to do it in a manner that was like done over and over and over and over again. So it was nice that we got to talk about the UWF, which a lot of people don't do. Man, it's nice I get to talk about. NWO without Hulk Hogan. Yeah, and that too. Like, because everybody has to talk about Hulk Hogan. So, um, with all that being said, I am Joe. This is Matt. And until next week, we will see, see you in the, the ring. ring. Some of the closest friends around. And tonight, it just breaks down here. Heenan, I don't know what to make of it. Man. Well, there is no friendship, like I said. They're both in that ring. They both want what each other has. They both want that, they both want that position. They both want to be on top here at WCW. And the only way to do that is you got to kick people's butts. you got to make enemies. All right, all right, all right. Hey, looky here. You wanted to Kindle, you got such a big mouth. And we, we are sick of it. What do you mean, who's we? You know who. Hey, this is where the big boys play? What a joke. I tell you what, you go tell billionaire Ted, you tell him get three of his very, very best. Maybe, uh, maybe the Nacho Man. Oh, no. Hey, maybe, maybe he get the stinger. Ooh, I'm so scared. You go get anybody you want, because we... What do you mean, we? We are taking over. You want to go to war? You want a war? You got one. Only, only let's do it right. In the ring where it matters. Not on no microphones, not in no newspapers or dirt sheets. Let's do it in the ring where it matters. If, uh, if billionaire Ted and his big boys, if they got any, uh, any guts, because we are coming down here. You're stepping over the line. And like it or not, not. we are taking over. You're out of here. You're out of here. I don't know what to say. We'll see you next week.
preceding announcement have been paid for by the New World Order.